The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Saturday, February 27th, 2021. On this day in 1982, Wayne Williams was found guilty of murdering two young men in Atlanta. With his conviction, the Atlanta police closed the book on one of the deadliest chapters in the city's history. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of the assault and murder of minors that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today we're covering the end of Wayne Williams' trial and the unanswered questions that continue to linger. Let's go back to 7.07 p.m. on February 27, 1982, as the jury filed into Judge Clarence Cooper's courtroom. Judge Cooper called the court to order as the jury took their seats. The relatives of the two victims sat next to the families of 26 other murdered black children, packing the room to its brim. The air was heavy with expectation as the district attorney pronounced Williams guilty. The prosecutors and law enforcement sighed in relief. Williams would never be allowed to get away with another crime for taking the lives of 27-year-old Nathaniel Cater and 21-year-old Jimmy Ray Payne. He was sentenced to life in prison. The day marked the end of a lengthy saga that started with Williams being pulled over in his car back on May 22, 1981. In a bid to find a notorious child killer stalking the streets of Atlanta, a group of local police, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and the FBI staked out bridges crossing the Chattahoochee River. The murderer previously left his victims in woodland areas and abandoned buildings, but had recently begun dumping their bodies in the river. In the early hours of the 22nd, an Atlanta officer posted under the Jackson Parkway Bridge heard a splash. Moments later, police pulled over Williams. When asked what he was doing there, he claimed he was a music talent scout. He was confirming an address for a meeting he had the next day. The authorities let him go, but two days later, they pulled the body of Nathaniel Cater out of the Chattahoochee, right next to the Jackson Parkway Bridge. Someone had strangled Cater to death. Williams was already suspicious, but inconsistencies in his story made the Atlanta PD believe he was their killer. 
On the morning of the 22nd, Wayne had claimed he was driving by the house of a singer named Cheryl Johnson. He was a music promoter and said he had a meeting with her the next day. He wanted to confirm the address ahead of time. But the authorities had no record of such a woman. They never found the address Wayne was supposedly searching for, and the telephone number he cited wasn't for Cheryl's phone. The police monitored Williams, eventually collecting samples of dog hair and green carpet fibers from the house he lived in with his parents. When they analyzed the evidence, they didn't just match it to fibers found on Nathaniel Cater. It was the same material taken from multiple victims of the infamous Atlanta child killer. They had their man. With Wayne Williams behind bars, the task force dedicated to finding the child killer dissolved. Politicians announced the case was closed. The mayor claimed the city was safe again. But for some, it was a hollow victory. Williams was only tried and convicted of the murders of two adults, leaving 26 potential victims unaccounted for. Critics felt that the police, reluctant to investigate the deaths in the first place, hadn't gotten true justice for the children, and many feared that the real killer was still stalking the streets. Coming up, Atlanta has a racist reckoning. Listeners, I am thrilled to tell you that this month marks a huge milestone for ParCast. It's the four-year anniversary of another fantastic podcast I host called Serial Killers. If you haven't had a chance to dive into the stories and psychology behind the most nightmarish murderers of all time, there's no better time than right now to start listening. Each week, we enter the minds, the methods, and the madness of the world's most sadistic serial killers. From the son of Sam, David Berkowitz, and the co-ed killer Edmund Kemper, to Eileen Wardos, Ed Gein, and coming soon, the Night Stalker Richard Ramirez. And this February, look out for our four-part special on couples who kill, following the worst love has to offer. Their names may sound ordinary, but their atrocities are anything but. Trust me, you do not want to miss it. With hundreds of episodes available to binge and new ones released weekly, get to know the killers, crimes, and cases that forever changed the face of history. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Serial Killers. New episodes air every Monday and Thursday, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, back to the story. On February 27, 1982, Wayne Williams was found guilty for the murders of two men. He was suspected to be the Atlanta child murderer responsible for over two dozen other killings but the other cases weren't brought to trial. For the families of many victims, his conviction for just two murders wasn't enough. It brought back bad memories. 
Back in 1979, when the children started going missing, many black community members struggled to get the Atlanta police to care at all. The first body was discovered in July that year, when a woman collecting cans stumbled across two dead boys in a vacant lot. Someone had shot 14-year-old Edward Smith in the head and strangled 13-year-old Alfred Evans to death. Those were only the beginning. For 22 months, children disappeared from Atlanta's black communities at an alarming rate. In total, someone killed 28 children and young adults. But for months, police resisted even investigating the disappearances. They claimed Smith and Evans died in a drug deal, though the boys were barely adolescents. Authorities told other parents that their kids had probably just run away. In May of 1980, three mothers took action. Camille Bell, mother of nine-year-old Yusuf Bell, Willie Mae Mathis, mother of 11-year-old Jeffrey Mathis, and Venus Taylor, mother of 12-year-old Angel Lanier, formed the committee to stop children's murders. Together, the women pressured the police to open an investigation into the murders. The Atlanta PD initially refused to believe the cases were connected, and local politicians the committee contacted feared that by talking about the deaths, they'd damage Atlanta's reputation. A large part of the authorities' reluctance came down to racism. All the missing children were black and had disappeared from black neighborhoods. Some of them even lived on the same street. It's highly likely that if dozens of white children were dying across the city, the police would have acted sooner. But instead, it took until July 1980, a year after the killings began, for authorities to form a task force. By then, the FBI Behavioral Science Unit had started consulting on the case. On the FBI's recommendation, authorities looked for a black perpetrator. According to criminal profiler John Douglas, it would make sense that a black murderer could move undetected in the neighborhoods where the victims lived. So when the Atlanta PD arrested Wayne Williams, they thought they had their man. He was at the bridge near where police discovered Nathaniel Cater's body, and he fit the psychological profile. It was an open and shut case. But the families of the victims weren't so sure. The state only charged Wayne in the murders of two adults, not any of the other 26 children. While carpet fibers and dog hair linked him to some of the other deaths, those never went to trial. Some families found it hard to believe a black person would kill so many black children. Instead, they cited Georgia's fraught racial history. Even before Wayne's arrest, many thought the killings were the work of the Ku Klux Klan. In 1986, Spin Magazine published a bombshell revelation. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation had been eyeing the KKK for some of the murders before they arrested Williams. When they found compelling evidence, they kept it secret. According to Spin, authorities didn't want to start a race war. That was exactly what the victims' families had feared. By pinning all the murders on Wayne Williams, they worried that the GBI had washed their hands of the missing and murdered children without thoroughly investigating the KKK. 
If Klan members had been killing black children, then the murderers were possibly still out there. Today, the families of the dead Atlanta children still deserve answers, though reports maintain that, based on circumstantial evidence, it's likely that Wayne Williams was responsible for at least some of the murders. In 2010, DNA analysis reportedly linked the dog hairs found on some victims to a German shepherd belonging to his family. Recent examinations of the carpet fibers reportedly support the court's findings back in 1982. It's also important to note that the Atlanta child killings appeared to have stopped in May 1981, the same time Williams was arrested. Even so, questions still linger because of the lack of physical evidence, as well as the fact that many of the killings never made it to court. Soon, they'll hopefully have closure. In 2019, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms reopened the cases, hoping that investigators could uncover definitive evidence and lay the children, at long last, to rest. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more like this, be sure to check out our show, Serial Killers. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Gitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Molly Quinlan, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Listeners, don't forget to check out the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Every Monday and Thursday, take a deep dive into the minds and madness of history's most notorious murderers. You can binge hundreds of episodes, four years worth, and catch new episodes weekly. Listen to Serial Killers free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.